Hey, everyone, how are you? Pastor didn't even tell you what topic he has given me. He changed it. Last week, I told you he had told me I was to speak on slothfulness and lust, so basically call you a bunch of lazy perverts. Now he changed it. The topic that I got today is gluttony, so I am calling you fat perverts. That's way worse. That's way worse. But uh, that is the topic for today, and I'm actually excited about it. I've never talked about it before in church. I I spoke for 10 years, addressed it, but never took a day to talk about it. And today, um, we're not just going to talk about food. Um, We're not just going to talk about, you know, excess in eating. Um, But I'm going to give you some principles that relate to food, temptation, and really all the things that we've talked about. And um, if your issue is with food, then everything that we say today is going to apply to you. And I know that, you know, food is a big issue for a lot of people. It's a big issue in our country. It's, it's actually a big issue in my family. There, there are members of my family that can only eat certain foods, um, the more healthy foods. And if they don't eat the healthy foods, they literally get sick. I mean, like very, very seriously sick. So every day they are faced with the temptation to eat food that could have great harm on them. So I know what it's like to be faced with the temptation as it relates to food And I know that it's a big deal for a lot of us, and certainly in our country, it's not hard to look around and see that we have a lot of issues related to it. So today I'm going to help you with it. Without addressing it the whole day, if it is your issue, apply everything that I say today to it, and you're going to grow. You're going to learn. You're going to become more like Jesus would like you to become. If food isn't your issue, you aren't off the hook today. Uh, You can't just sit back and say, whew, this is an easy day in church. I don't have any food issues. No big deal. Whatever your issue is, the principles that I'm going to give you today are are going to apply. And this series, as Pastor mentioned, is all about temptation. And if you dig into temptation, every single person is tempted. If you're here today and you're an agnostic, you're not sure there's a God. If you're here today and you're an atheist, you don't believe there is a God. If you're here today like me and you believe you can have a personal relationship with God, what we all have in common is that we're tempted. It's very interesting. We're all tempted. Temptation is actually very irrational. Because why would you and I be tempted to do things that we know hurt us? And then why would we do them once and then go do them again? Ever. So temptation is not necessarily selfishness, is it? Because if it was pure selfishness, then I would only do things that are good for me. And yet many of us do things that aren't good for us repeatedly. And we're tempted and we're tempted and we're tempted and we do them again and again. It's very irrational. It's not selfishness. But ultimately, it leads us to the answers. And in my experience, the only belief system, and it's not really a belief system, but we think it is, that has answers is Christianity. So maybe 
in the process of even today, as we talk about temptation, you'll say those answers are some of the best answers that I've ever heard as it relates to something that I experience, that my life has been impacted by, by the people that I know have been impacted by it. I get it. And it may take you one step closer to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is ultimately what this is all about. So that's where we're going today. I'm going to actually tell you an Old Testament story about food. I'm going to tell you about the temptations that Jesus had, and one of his temptations was related to food. But way beyond that, I'm giving you some principles that apply to every single area that you're tempted, whether it's greed, lust, pride, envy, all of them. These principles apply to all of them, and they're very impacting. So let me put a couple of big statements up on the screen for you um, as we get started today. This is statement number one. There's always more at stake in every temptation than what I think. There's always more at stake. Um, When we're being tempted, whether it's by food or another beer or sex, like we talked about last week, whatever the issue is, we tend to only think about the issue that is right in front of us. And that's the only issue. Should I have that dessert or not? Should I drink that beer? Should I look at that picture or not? That's all that we see. But I want you to understand there's way more to every temptation. There's way more that's going on than what you see right in front of you. Do you want to know what's at stake with every single temptation? Your future. You say, no, it isn't. It's just, it's, just, it's just a dessert or it's just a little bit of porn or whatever the issue is. It's just a little money. It's just a little lie. No, your future is at stake. And you want to know how you know this? If you've been a parent, you want to know what happens with my kids? My kids come to me on a Saturday afternoon and they ask one simple little question. You want to know what it is? Dad, can I play PlayStation. Any of your kids ever ask you, your parents, can I play, right? And you know what I give them, you know what I do? Son, are you serious? You want to play PlayStation? Do you not understand that you need to get into college? And you need to understand that you need to graduate from college? And do you not understand that you cannot be on my couch 10 years from now playing PlayStation? And I go on this massive rant, and my son looks at me like, Dad, I asked you if I could play PlayStation. But you know what I did in my mind? I realize that every little decision that someone makes is connected to the larger picture of where they're going to end up in life. And we get it with other people. You have confronted people in your life, and you have said, Dad, if you don't stop eating, you are going to die early. You're going to have a heart attack. And, Dad, do you not understand that I want you around for the grandkids when, they're mar- when they get married? I want you to be there. Have you ever had that conversation? You have. Have you ever gone to someone that you care about and said, you got to stop drinking so much? Have you ever, you cannot lie, son. You cannot, you cannot cheat. And, and the, well, I'm just cheating a little bit in school. No, son, it's a bigger deal than that. There's always more at stake in every temptation than what I think. You know what's true for other people. You don't always attach it to yourself. Let me give you another big statement. In every single temptation, there's the issue of how much confidence I have in God. What's at stake in every single temptation is not just your future or your family, but also your faith. In every single temptation, 
there is always the issue of how much confidence I have in my heavenly father. And you go, that doesn't even make sense to me. And that is why we struggle so much in particular areas. Because we do not make the connection of the larger issue, which is really an ultimate faith issue, that in every single temptation, there is always a question of how much faith I have in God, and can God be trusted to actually meet my need. And it's very possible that the reason why there are areas in your life where you struggle and struggle and struggle, it's because you only focus on the particular issue of whatever you're struggling with. And you've never made the real connection that the reason why you struggle in that area, it's actually a real question of whether or not you have faith and confidence in God. It's a faith question. This explains why you look at some people and maybe you're just coming to Christianity um, for the first time or maybe you feel like you're just a failure at the Christian faith and you look at other people that are Christians and you think to yourself, I don't think I could ever be that good. I don't think I could, and you're haunted by the thing that you struggle with most, I don't think I could ever overcome my area of struggle. So you just kind of sit back and you're defeated your whole life. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons that some Christians look so good, and they actually are, is because they've made these mental adjustments to the key areas of their life. There's always more at stake in every temptation than what I think. And in every single temptation, there's the, itch, the issue of how much confidence I have in God. And when you begin to make that connection, things change. And that is how this struggle with temptation can actually lead you to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These two statements are massive statements when it comes to any of the temptations that you and I face. So keep those in mind throughout this talk today, and we'll come back to them at the end because it has major impact to our most critical areas of struggle. Now, what I want to do today is I want to tell you a story from the New Testament about Jesus and temptation. One of the temptations that he struggled with is directly related to food, and then Jesus, in the midst of his temptation, refers back to an Old Testament story. It's a great story that had to do with food, and in the course of it, we can pull out some, some principles that apply to all of our areas of life. So that's what I want to do. In the book of Matthew, it's in the New Testament. I'll put the verses on the screen for you, or you can follow along on your phone or uh, in the Bible if you want when, this, when the verses come up. But in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, there is the incredible story of the temptation of Jesus. And in this story, we get incredible insights that are so valuable for whatever struggle is your biggest struggle. So let me put these verses. Actually, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3 on the screen for you. Just before Jesus was tempted, I want you to see this because this is so incredible. Verse 16 of Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. So basically, Jesus is baptized. Um, John the, Bapti John the Baptist, which is just his nickname, not his last name. John the Baptizer, 
He was known for baptizing. That's why they called him the baptizer. Baptized Jesus. It's this incredible moment. God approves on it. People see this light as if it's the Spirit of God descending upon him. And then verse 17 it says, And after a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. You get this. God in heaven looks down at his son and says, That's my boy down there. That a guy. It's like when your son gets a base hit in Little League, and you're like, that's my boy. Which is your son, the one who just got a hit? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the one who got a hit. God looks down. He's more spiritual than we are, right? <laughs> he looks down and says, that's my son. That's my boy. It's like he got a base hit at a baseball game. That is my boy. Now, look at the next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Then, Jesus What does then mean? Help me out. What does then mean? Then. That's a clue. Ready? It's not a tough question. When I ask you this next question, just say then. Okay, ready? What does then mean? Good. You're smart people. Next. Just after. Right after Jesus was baptized. Right after the Heavenly Father looked at his son and said, That's my boy. Right after that. This makes no sense. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God in the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. What? That makes no sense. Does it? If I was making up the Bible, I would never make that story up. It would be, Then I took my son out for ice cream. Because he got a hit. Then I went and lived in the desert in a, under a perfect tree by oasis because I was so proud of him. No, then right after Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Makes no sense. It's very strange. And in fact, there's a pattern all throughout the Bible. God did the same thing with Abraham. After a high spiritual moment, Abraham was immediately tempted. God did the same thing with Moses. God did the same thing with Peter. And he basically did the same thing with all of his disciples. You say, Pastor Paul, what are you getting at? Well, if you're here and you're a Christian and you think, if I'm truly a Christian, I wouldn't be tempted to do fill in the blank. And you, and you doubt whether you actually can be a Christian. If I was really a Christian, I would not have a same-sex attraction. It's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. If I was really a Christian, I wouldn't struggle with that, or I wouldn't want to do that, or I would Guess what? Temptation was common to Jesus. He was led by... The Spirit of God, immediately after a high point, to be tempted in the desert by the king of tempters. This is very good news to you. Because you're tempted, it doesn't mean that you're bad. Jesus was tempted, and in fact, it was very much orchestrated by God himself. He didn't cause him to give in, but temptation was a part of Jesus's experience on this earth. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. It's very, very good news. Look at, look at his temptation. This is incredible. Verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Do you know what I say after that? Big theological word. Duh. <laughs> this is like you haven't eaten since September 10th. 
And if you hadn't eaten since September 10th, I promise you, you would be sitting around that corner over there just scarfing down everything that you get your hands on, right? Oh, not you. You're very spiritual. You would still be sitting over here worshiping Jesus. (laughs) Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and as a result, he was hungry. That's awesome. I, I like, send a note to God every once in a while. God, you didn't need to tell me that last part. I, I knew that part, right? And the, and the tempter comes to him, verse number three. You talk about being vulnerable? Very, very vulnerable. And then what we get over these next few verses, and I don't have time to go into all of them, but I do have time to explain just the first one. But I want to tell you what the three temptations that Jesus experienced in these next few verses. You can read it for yourself this week. All of your temptations fall into these categories that I'm going to put on the screen for you. The devil comes to Jesus, and he tempts him. And the three temptations that the devil gives Jesus are the same three temptations that every temptation you have ever experienced falls into this category. This is big information. You could write it down if you wanted to. Um, Temptation number one, he was tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. The devil comes to him and says, you're hungry, turn these rocks into bread. Legitimate need, and that's the one we'll dig in today. A legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Temptation number two. Tempted to try to use God to accomplish his own purposes. Every single one of your temptations falls into this category as well. Using God to get what actually we want. It's a major temptation. And in terms of what the temptation was, the devil said to him, throw yourself off the temple, if you're familiar with it, and the angel will catch you. Use God, his power, to accomplish your purposes. And then the last category of temptation is, he was tempted to do the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way and take a shortcut. When the devil said to him, I'll give you all the power right now, if you just bow down, it's the right thing. And actually, when I read those temptations, I've thought to myself, Jesus, why don't you just do them? Like, trick the devil. Like, sure, but you win. But there was bigger. Remember I said there's more at stake in the little temptations than what you think? There's always more at stake. Those are three huge principles. Every single one of your temptations falls into one of those three categories. You're not uniquely tempted, and it is a big deal. Because there's bigger things going on than what you see in the moment. It's not simply about lying. I just told a little lie. Well, let's think about lying. Does anybody here want, does anybody here, let's just ask, does anybody here say, I believe in lying, praise Jesus? No hands up. So nobody agrees with lying. Does anybody here like politicians who lie? Like, you go to those rallies and you say, do you promise me that you're going to lie to me? I absolutely do. No, that that never happens. You don't teach your kids, now lie about it. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Do you want a policeman who lies to you? No. We are all 100% opposed to lying, but we lie. Why? Why? 
Oh, I'll tell you why we lie. Because at work, my boss asks me how many calls I made. And if I tell the truth, which, by the way, everyone knows that no one else makes all the calls that they make either. And if I told the truth, my job would be in jeopardy. So I lie. It's just a lie. It's a little bitty lie. And what you think is only a little bitty lie. But what the bigger issue is, is this. You are trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way because you aren't sure that God can be trusted. That is actually why you lie. Right? Bigger issue. Your real issue is not the lie. The real issue is you aren't sure that God can be trusted to keep you in your job if you were honest. It is a faith issue. And suddenly go, oh my God, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to doubt my God. And now you've made the connection from whatever temptation it is to the larger issue. And this is why some people don't lie because they've made that connection. And this is how you transform your life, right? Let's just take food. Whatever area of struggle with food is the reason why you overeat because you aren't sure you're going to, that God is going to provide another meal. So you're going to shove everything in your mouth as much as you can because you actually don't trust God. Is that the issue? Is the reason why you overeat because you're lonely And you aren't sure that there is a God out there who cares for you and wants to meet your need way more than food could ever meet your need? Is that the issue? Right? Is the reason why you overeat because it's fun and enjoyable? And food is no longer for you about sustenance. It is about pure pleasure. And the real issue, the reason why you overeat is you aren't sure that there's a God who's enjoyable. That can be trusted. That is fun. That can fill your need for pleasure. And suddenly it isn't about just, I don't want to overeat. I need to exercise. It's now about, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is really going on here? This is a faith issue. A legitimate need eating. Meeting that need in an illegitimate way, wrong. Temptation. The real issue behind our struggles. Jesus, it's cool, is tempted. And he's tempted in all the ways that you and I will ever be tempted, which gives us great information. Being tempted is not a problem. I don't care what your struggle is or how hard it is. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean you're not a good person. Jesus was tempted. And I'm sure the pull to, as we'll see, the first temptation, turn stone into bread was massive, as great a pull as you have ever had in your life towards anything. Doesn't mean you're bad. Jesus, though, always made the connection to the larger issue. And I want to dig into this first temptation, tell you an Old Testament story, and then just kind of close it down uh, from there. Here's, here's, Here's the temptation, verse number three. 
During that time, the devil came and said, he's starving, he's hungry. If you're the son of God, tell all these stones to become loaves of bread. And honestly, I've read that, that, I've read that a million times to myself, and I thought, Jesus, just do it. It's like, what's the big deal? And if all you look at is you're hungry, he has the power, he's Jesus, who cares about the devil, no big deal. And if you only look at it as we would look at it as what's right in front of you, you would say, just do it, it's no big deal. But Jesus makes a connection to the bigger picture, which I've kind of outlined for you. But he also makes a connection to an Old Testament story. And let me give you the background, and then we'll read through the Old Testament story. In the Old Testament, if you grew up in Sunday school, you definitely know this story. The nation of Israel was captive in Egypt for 400 years. In Egypt, they were slave people, man. They, they, they worked day in and day out. There's been a lot of movies made about it. You've probably seen some of those movies. It was a rough life. They didn't have a Bible. You got to remember, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have church services. They didn't have a temple. All they had in the nation of Egypt back in that time was stories about Abraham and about a God who showed up and said, Abraham, You're my people. I'm going to take care of you. And they looked around, and they hadn't seen their God taking care of them at all. They had been slaves for 400 years. It's a tough time to have faith in that time period. Well, God begins to work after 400 years. God always works. It's just not always in our time frames, right? 400 years later, God shows up. He shows up in the person of Moses, Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. It's a long ordeal. Finally, Pharaoh lets him go. Moses takes off with two million people heading into the desert. That's a logistics issue, friends. Two million. You, anybody here ever gone on vacation with five or four family members? If you go on vacation with my wife with five or four family members, I mean, this may be just a two-day getaway. I have to get a, what is it, 30-foot U-Haul trailer if it's two days, U-Haul truck, a truck and trailer if it's three days. Logistics issues. Two million people heading into the desert. That's a problem. They charge through the Red Sea. That's a great story. Half of Pharaoh's army dies in the Red Sea. And Moses goes, yes, we made it to the other side. Okay, breakfast tomorrow morning. What's the plan? Two million people need breakfast (laughs) in a desert. God comes up with a great food plan. And you know what it is? Every morning, miraculously, little tasty cakes. Nutritional, though. They come from God. Organic, I'm sure. Organic tasty cakes drop from heaven every single morning, packaged up and all. And the nation of Israel would get out of their tent and go, oh, tasty cakes arrived from God. They would take just enough for the day. Don't take enough for two days, you know. If they took two days, it would be full of uh, worms and rotted. So every single day, they would open up the tent in anticipation. Did God show up again? Did he drop us breakfast? And he did. Now I'm 44 years old. I feel like I've been around a long time. That went on for 40 years. 
So it'd be like when I was born till four years ago, I would get up every morning, open the door and see a tasty cake from God. Right? And be like, yes. But there was a bigger issue going on here. The big issue was God was meeting their physical needs, but the way bigger issue was a God who they didn't really know was teaching them that you can trust me for your daily needs. And they learned it. Not very well. Like, how stupid were those people? I'd be like, God, a month into it, I got the lesson. Okay, let's move on. Anything but tasty cakes, right? I've learned it. Doesn't need to be 40 years. But God knows how dumb we are, right? For 40 years, he drops tasty cakes. Well, they get to the end of this journey, and now they're heading into the promised land. And this is what, this is what happens to us, too. When we're in the desert of life, we trust God. But the second we get out from beneath the desert and we have more than we want, what do we do? We forget all the lessons that we've learned. We, need, we don't need God, and we go back to doing what we want to do. And Moses knows this, and he's concerned about it. So he gathers the people and he delivers this message. And it's, it's huge for us. And what you're going to find is when the devil started working over, Satan started working over Jesus, he refers to this story. All right. So let me put the, what, what Moses said to them, because this is big. Verse two of Deuteronomy chapter eight. Remember how the Lord, your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. He's just, they're about ready to get into the promised land. Like they can see it. And they're like, that's where my house is going to be. No more traveling. Oh man, this is going to be incredible. We're going to have a house. We're going to have a city. We're going to have a nation. We're going to have our own leaders. No more vagabond nation thing, traveling. Remember how the Lord your God took you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands? Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna on a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people... Now, remember this little phrase, because Jesus is going to talk about this phrase to the devil. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. He did it to teach you that there's a bigger issue. There's bigger things going on than what you see right in front of you. People do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word. We live by the teachings of God. We live by the will of God. We live in relationship to God. Your relationship with God is more important than your food. We live every, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Keep going in the story here. Verses, uh, there you go. Verse 11. Be careful. But that is the time to be careful when he gets in the land. He warns him, you're going to get in the land. That is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands and regulations and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land. Moses says, I'm concerned that the lesson that has taken you 40 freaking years to learn, 
that you can trust a God to meet your daily needs. I can, I can feel it in my bones the second we get into that promised land and we have everything and we have more than we need. You're going to think it's all about you and you're going to focus on your needs and your wants and you're going to forget about the God who gave it to you, which is the source of all of our temptation, right? He closes out verse 17 and 18. He did all this so you would never say. He provided for you. He overcame incredible obstacles. It had to be a miracle. Two million people in the desert for 40 years. He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Moses reminds them that God is the source of all of your needs. Right? Who created you? God. Who gave you the ability to think? God. Who gave you today? God. Who gave you brain power? Who gave you that desire to succeed? God. Who gave you your children? God. Who gave you everything that you have? God. And God says, exactly, don't forget it. And more important than eating today is remembering that I gave it to you. And in the moment that you forget or you value what you eat more than the God who gave it, and in the moment that you would sacrifice your relationship with God for whatever it is in front of you, in that moment you have succumbed to the ultimate temptation. You have broken your relationship with God, and in essence you have said, God, I don't need you. I value what you have created more than you. Be gone. And that is the sin, right? That's exactly what Moses was talking about. That is exactly what the people of Israel were thinking about. Every time you're tempted, it's a confidence in God issue. And your relationship with God is at stake. Does that not change how you view those little things in your life? Does that not make you think to yourself, wow, it's not just a little lie. Wow. It's not just a little greed. Wow, it's not just a little anger. What is anger? Anger is me acting like I'm responsible for everything that happens. I don't need a God to fix all the wrongs. I am righteously anger, angry at that person, and I am going to sin in the process because if I don't fix her, it won't get fixed. It's a faith in God issue, is it not? It's a faith in God issue. And when you start to think on these things on that higher level, I'm telling you, the great news is you can have victory over things that you've always struggled with when you see them for what they really are. Well, Satan comes to Jesus and says, turn that stone into bread. Jesus is more hungry than I've ever been because I have never fasted for 40 days. It appears like Jesus could do it. He has the power. He's hungry. Um, God made him hungry. Right? It's a legitimate need. But Jesus goes, oh, oh, oh. oh, 
No, 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 no. The real issue here is, am I going to trust God to feed me in his timing? And Jesus remembers the Old Testament story that I just told you. Verse number four, after Jesus tempted him, but Jesus told him, no, no. The scriptures say, no, Satan, this is a moral issue. No, the script, this is an ethical issue. This is a big deal. No, Satan, the scriptures say, and he goes back to that story in the Old Testament. People do not live by bread alone. Bread's not important. Way more important than my hunger right now is they live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hey, Satan, I got news for you. You're messing with the wrong dude. I'd rather be in relationship with Jesus and starved with God, the Father, Jesus speaking. I'd rather be in relationship with God, the Father, and die than to break my relationship with God, act in my own time, and create this food. But then he goes back. But I know something about my God. For 40 freaking years, he fed Two million people in the desert. And Satan, I can tell you this. He's not going to let me starve. My confidence in him is way stronger than the temptation you're putting in front of me. And, and he said, no way. Not doing it. It's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome. So the question to you and I is this. What is the area of your life where you are most tempted to meet a legitimate need in an irresponsible way. Maybe it's not food. Money. Wealth. Financial gain. I got a great relationship with my boss. I'm, I'm a vice president of sales of an internet company that's Doing pretty good. God has me there right now. It's an adventure. It's fun. However long God has me there, it's great. My, my boss loves money. That's what he loves. In fact, I talked to him last night. He says, hey, million, get out of here. It's like, million? Who's million? Oh, that's my son. Your son what? What's his name? His name is Maximilian, but I call him million because he's going to be a millionaire. <laughs> It's like, boy. What do you think he values most in life? Million. I get a million. If that's you, what is it where you're most tempted to get a million dollars no matter what it takes? Is that you? In that particular area, a legitimate need. We need money. We need food, sex, progress. If you would pause in that moment when you're tempted to sell out everything to get whatever it is that you want. Maybe it's, maybe you'd like to get married. You'd like to have a relationship or a family. 
and you would be willing to compromise your standards, compromise what you know is true, compromise everything your parents have taught you in order to get hitched up with that person. In the moment that you're tempted, if you would pause and you would say, you know what? Man does not live by closing deals alone. Man does not live by making progress alone. Man does not live by being popular alone. Man does not live by the amount of income they have alone, but by the word of God. A relationship, a pure relationship with God. That is what you need first and most. And the good thing is this. You have a heavenly father who then comes on the back end of that huge step of faith and will never let you be hungry. It's powerful. What is the area of life where you're most tempted to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways? The issue at hand is way bigger than what you see. It's a faith issue. And would you be willing to pause? And would you be willing to just do this? Would you do this just this week? God, when you wake up in the morning, I believe that you're a heavenly father who meets the needs of his children. And today, in even the most difficult areas of my life, I am going to trust in you to provide for me. I'm going to trust in you to protect me. And I'm going to put my faith in you to forgive me. I want this day to be an expression of my faith and love for you. And God, give me the strength and the courage in this relationship to overcome the biggest, most difficult areas of my struggle. And I'm telling you, if you do that every morning, God, I believe you will meet my needs and nothing else will. I trust you more than anything else. I'm telling you, it will change you. And if by chance you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you start praying that way every day, and I have a hunch you'll begin a personal relationship with him, and your life will never be the same. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that there are principles here that can help all of us. And I I just pray that you would help us to take this out of the head knowledge. But that when we leave here today, and I know the devil will try to distract us and help us to forget these principles quickly because that's how he works. He's the tempter of tempters. I pray that you would help us to overcome and remember and personalize the things that we have heard today. God, we thank you so much for sending your son to experience what we have experienced, intense temptation. We're thankful that he resisted that temptation because the larger picture is if Jesus in this moment had given into the temptation, 
taken the stones and turned them to bread because he was hungry, he would have sinned. And in the process of sinning, he would no longer be sinless. And if he were no no longer sinless, he could not have been the sinless sacrifice for my sins. And I would have been deeply impacted by his choice. Thank you, God, for sending your son to accomplish what only he could accomplish. And he accomplished it. He did it. So we're so grateful. God, help us to live in that same power, with that same strength. And in Jesus' name, may people here overcome some of their greatest temptations in the coming days and weeks as they lean into a relationship with God that is so much bigger than anything that tempts them. That's our prayer, God. In your great name we pray.